0: grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is again taken from our epistle reading from the 8th chapter of Romans with an emphasis on these words. We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. In ancient Judaism, the Feast of First Fruits was observed in the week immediately following the observance of Passover, which is a festival that you're all likely more familiar with. The sacrificing of the lamb, smearing the blood on the lintels, eating it with unleavened bread, etc., etc. But, whereas the Passover... Was an annual remembrance of God's act of deliverance for his people Israel, the Feast of First Fruits was observed as a thanksgiving for his continued acts of providence. Now, seven weeks after the Feast of First Fruits, the Israelites would continue their celebration with the Feast of Weeks, one of three solemn feasts, along with first fruits and tabernacles which required all Jewish males to travel to Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting about these three solemn feasts is that each required a different first fruits to be offered at the temple, three different crops. The Feast of Tabernacles involved the offering of the first of the olive and grape harvests, the Feast of Weeks, involved offering the first fruit of the wheat harvest. And then finally, the Feast of First Fruits, along with Passover, specifically involved the first barley harvest. Now, in all three of these festivals, a similar practice was observed each time. The men who made the offering, that is, the respective heads of their household, they would decline the intake of any food or any wine until they made that presentation before the Lord until they gave of their first fruits and they were received by the priest at the temple. A period of fasting which was observed in recognition for the gracious bounty that was theirs because of the mighty deeds of their God. That time of bodily denial and fasting would then give way to the festal celebration. The first fruits belong to God. Because in Him, as they understood, they were given every good thing. Friends, though our festal calendar in the Christian church looks decidedly different from that of our Jewish friends, the same is true still in the church today. As Luther writes in his small catechism, in the explanation of the first article of the Creed, I believe that God has made me and all creatures. He has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason, and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife, children, land, animals, and all that I have. He daily and richly provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger, guards and protects me from all evil. And why? All this he does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. Therefore, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve, and obey him. And all you who went through confirmation will say, this is most certainly true. Very good. You guys pass. It's in this context and with this understanding that we have to examine our reading for today from Romans chapter 8. That text opens with the famous words of the apostle Paul, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us." Without careful reading and a right understanding, these words could easily be misunderstood to mean the exact opposite for which the Holy Spirit inspired the apostle to write them. Indeed, this passage is often often mistakenly read as a kind of pop promise of pie in the sky, by and by. In other words, do you suffer today? Are you miserable today? Are the wages of your sin bearing down on you until you feel that life just is not worth living today? Well then, if you read the passage that way, you might say, suck it up. Hang in there. Because God promises, he's got some good things in store for you, whenever it is that he gets around to it. That doesn't sound like the God of the Bible, and such an understanding, of course, would be devastating to our Christian faith. Certainly, there is much to be said about running the race with endurance, as we read from the author of the epistle to the Hebrews. Yet, if we mistake all of the graces of God as still being far ahead of us, well, then we have no endurance in ourselves which might persevere unto the day of the resurrection. For this reason, in Romans chapter 8, St. Paul doesn't write only about future glory. He speaks much of present grace as well. The mercies of God, you see, are not only for those who have crossed the finish line, those who have somehow proven themselves to the Lord. Rather, His gifts of grace are for all who are baptized into his name and so have received his Holy Spirit. Now, in characteristic fashion, our God turns the old observance of first fruits on its head. For though to him still belong the first fruits of all our worldly goods, he now turns around and returns to us the first fruits of his Spirit who is ours in baptism for the sake of Christ crucified for us. Christ, who suffered all things as we suffer and more, suffering even the agonizing death on Calvary's cross to make full recompense for our sin. This same Christ has now become the first fruits of the dead. By his resurrection from the grave on the third day, he has now secured for us the promise of our own resurrection, a far greater harvest which is still to come at His glorious reappearing. It is to this hope that we now cling by the inner working of His Spirit, who is with us not just in the future, not in some far-off time, but this day as our counselor and guide, guarding that deposit of faith made in us at our baptism, Until that day when it bears fruit as we too rise from our graves at the resurrection. This promise, that is the promise of the Holy Spirit, is anything but pie in the sky or by and by. Rather, we confess that it is real present grace. It is strength for today, even as it promises that great and glorious hope for tomorrow. In this Holy Spirit, We in the church are given a whole myriad of gifts which assure and remind us that the providence of our God is good for the here and the now. That he is not blind or indifferent to our present sufferings, but that he addresses them by means of his church on earth. In this church, here and now, he comes to us with the proclamation that our sins are forgiven that they are paid in full by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. In this church, here and now, he comes to us in the hearing of his divine, inspired, inerrant, and active word, which makes known to us the full counsel of the law as well as the blessed hope of the gospel in order to work saving faith into our hearts. In this church, here and now, he comes to us in the holy sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, bringing us out of death and into life by the sacred waters and nourishing our faith in the eating and drinking of Christ's very body and blood given and shed for the forgiveness of our sins. In this church, here and now, he surrounds us with a great cloud of witnesses, which are our brothers and sisters in Christ who care for us, who encourage us, who nourish us, even as our own earthly families do. And in this church, here and now, his Holy Spirit petitions for us in groanings which the Apostle describes as too deep for words, taking all those prayers and petitions which are offered at the altar for the sake of Christ Jesus, who receives them as his very own before his Father in heaven. All of these things, and indeed, many more, as as we heard in our small catechism, they are ours today. We are promised all these things, but they are merely the first fruits. They are but the opening course of the grace which our God has in store for all who believe in Him. Now, through the Christian church on earth, we see time and again how the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, acts in unity to protect and preserve us through all life's trials until that day when we pass through this veil of tears and sorrow into the glory of the life of the world to come. And so, therefore, do not lose heart in your affliction, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. For that promise made to you in your baptism is good even today. Your God does not just wait for you at the finish line. He goes before you, securing your salvation. He comes behind you, laying for you the foundation of your faith to push you forward towards your goal. He runs beside you, catching you when you fall, and carrying you when you have stumbled. No matter how arduous this road may be, you may take heart knowing that you do not walk it alone. Furthermore, as we read, you are no longer captive to your sin, nor are you bound to your grave. You who were once subjected to futility in sin have now been set free in Christ. Live therefore as his own blessed saints. Live in the hope of that future glory, even as you give thanks today for his present grace. You know, it's kind of interesting that when we think of those who have suffered most for this Christian confession, our minds are, without fail, always drawn back to those early church fathers and martyrs, those men who were persecuted, imprisoned, and even killed for their faith in Christ Jesus. And yet, in the Bible, when we read the accounts of St. Paul and St. James and St. Peter, how do they describe their afflictions? They do not speak of them with despair, but rather with hope and joy. They do so because they have witnessed personally how it is that the Holy Spirit takes those afflictions, those wages of sin, and he turns them on their head. He uses them to work his good and produce in us those fruits which endure unto eternity. St. Paul writes earlier in his epistle to the Romans, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Likewise, St. James in his epistle says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet with trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And finally, of course, St. Peter, in his first letter, says, Rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. In all these ways, we are given the full assurance that our faith is not futile, but that it is good here and now, even as we believe that these times of denial and fasting and suffering will give way to the future glory which Christ has prepared for us. Therefore, the church comes together this day, and indeed every day, to rejoice and give thanks at the mighty acts of a God who provides for all our needs, past, present, and future, body and soul, both now and forever. All this for the sake of Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord. In his most good and gracious name, amen. May the peace of God, which far surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in this same Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.